Good morning, and welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church on this Pentecost Sunday. It's clear that there is energy in this room, and that's how we know that the Holy Spirit is in our midst. So we give thanks this Pentecost that you are here, that you are worshiping with us this morning, and we also want to welcome those of you who are joining us by means of the radio or the internet live stream. We're glad that you're here with us as well. If you are physically here in this space, I invite you to locate our friendship pads. Those are on the ends of the pews. And to record your attendance there and to note the names of those who are worshiping around you so you can greet them by name later in the service. You'll see in front of you in the pews, we've got some connection cards. And so if you're visiting for one of the first times, we'd invite you to fill out that connection card and drop it in the offering plate later in the service. If you are visiting for one of the first Sundays, we also want to invite you to the atrium after the service to meet with one of our folks here at the church and to learn more about the mission and ministry of our congregation. On the back of the connection cards in the pews, you can also find prayer cards. So if you'd like to uh, request prayer from the pastoral team here, if you'd like to celebrate something, or if you are in need of prayer, uh, please do fill out one of those cards and drop it into the offering plate later in the service. A few things today, as we move through our summer here at Preston Hollow, we're taking note of the sacred amidst the ordinary. And a reminder that each time you notice God's presence in your life in those small moments, we're inviting you to take a picture of that and either to email it to our communications team here at Preston Hollow or to tag it with the hashtag PHPCSummer. And you'll see in our atrium that we've started to post some of those pictures. And it's amazing to see the ways in which people are finding God in their ordinary lives. Today we also celebrate that the Holy Spirit came and interrupted an ordinary group of people as they were worshiping and called them out into the world on this day of Pentecost. So to celebrate that, we are having a Pentecost picnic today after worship. We hope you'll stick around. We've got fried chicken, peach cobbler, and mashed potatoes, which is a combination that you will not want to miss. So please do make plans to stick around. We'll be gathering in Jubilee Hall just outside of the sanctuary to celebrate and dine together. Friends, as we prepare to worship a God who is ever moving in your lives, I invite you to take a look around you. Notice who is here. This configuration of people is unique, gathered for a brief moment in time, in a particular space to worship, and each of us is embodied in our own special way. This morning, as we sit and stand and sit and stand and sing and pray and fold our hands for prayer and bow our heads, let us remember the incredible gift that God has given us in using our body to worship God. So friends, let us worship a good and holy God.
join me in a call to worship. In sleeping and waking, God is present. In eating and in playing, God is present. In losing keys, reading a book, and sitting in traffic, God is present. As we gather for worship, God is present. Let us worship God. we will pray with our whole selves, 
mind, body, heart, and spirit, because the burdens we carry and the wrongs we commit are embodied. We can feel them in our bones. So I invite you to listen and follow along, physically responding to my prompts as we pray our prayer of confession today. Please begin with open eyes and an open heart. Let us pray. God is all-hearing, all-knowing, and grace-giving. From the beginning, God has heard the cries of the oppressed and the vulnerable, and God offers hope to all the hopeless. Even with this example, we fail to hear those same cries. We fail to hear those around us who need help, who have broken hearts, who need an encouraging word. If you have ever failed to hear the cries of those in need, please close your eyes. The Holy Spirit speaks to each of us, nudging us in certain directions in life and guiding our paths in the world. However, sometimes we deny our calling, choosing the paths we want to walk down rather than trusting the Spirit to guide us. If you have ever denied the Spirit's calling for your life, please bow your head. Jesus invites all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens to rest, to embrace Sabbath, and to take a break from worrying and toiling. Even so, we work long hours and fail to release our stress. We hear our souls crying out for rest. If you have ever chosen stress over rest, toil over Sabbath, please clench your fists. Friends, this is what sin feels like. Cut off from others in the world, left in the dark, alone and disconnected from God, while shouldering heavy burdens. But God knows us, and God loves us. Like a mother with her children, God will not abandon us. So if you've ever heard the cries of those in need and responded with care, open your eyes. If you've ever listened to and trusted God's calling for your life, sit up straight. If you've ever chosen to rest, to relax, to lay down your burdens, unclench your fists. And if your eyes are still closed, open them. If your head is still bowed, sit up straight. If your fists are still clenched, release them. For God's grace is for all of us, no matter who we are or what we've done or left undone. Look around. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it feels like. Eyes open, heads up, connected and united in grace. So friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. As forgiven people, let us embody the grace of God by passing the peace of Christ with one another. I invite you to rise in body or spirit. The peace of Christ be with you.
friends, you may be seated, and at this time I'd like to invite our children forward for a special children's sermon. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you. I have a question. Did you guys brush your teeth this morning? You did? Good for you. Your toothbrush can talk? That's amazing. All right. Very cool. Children's sermon over. What about last night? Did you brush your teeth last night? It's good to brush twice a day is what I've heard. I've heard that. Why do we brush our teeth? to keep them from getting cavities. Are your parents dentists? <laughs> no, no. From getting stinky. That's probably the more social reason, yeah, yeah. Why else do we brush our teeth? Those are the two primary reasons, to keep from getting cavities and to keep them from being stinky. Yeah, what else? To keep them clean, yes. It's important to brush our teeth because we have to care for them in order for them not to get cavities, because if we get cavities, then we might have to get a, teeth, a tooth pulled or a cavity filled. Not good, not good. So it's important to brush our teeth because that's how we care for them. And, and did you know that our teeth are a gift from God? Turn into a pumpkin. Interesting, interesting theory. <laughs> but we care for the things that God has given us. And so our teeth are one of those things. They're part of our body. And teeth are important because they help us chew our food, and they help us smile, and they help us eat communion bread. Uh, our bodies are a gift from God, and our teeth are a part of that. And we care for our bodies because God has given them to us. And did you know that one of the reasons we care for our bodies is because we use our bodies in worship? Did you know that? I bet you were thinking, hmm, I just come here and I listen and I think about things, but you also use your bodies. How do we use our bodies to worship God? What do you think? How do we use our hands? To pray? We can fold our hands together? Sometimes we hold our hands in front of us when we want to pray. Has anyone ever prayed like that with, our hand, with your hands in front of you? Why don't you try that today? You can try that today. I give you permission to pray like this instead. Sometimes we even kneel when we pray get down on our knees and we pray. You don't really do that. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, you can try that sometime though if you want to. You know, we also use our bodies when we sing. We use our mouths to sing and we use our lungs to breathe air so we can sing and make a joyful noise. Sometimes we use our bodies to make music, like we make drums. Can you guys try that? Make drums on our knees. Yeah, that's a way that we can make a joyful noise. And we also use our bodies. Has, have you guys ever seen the person that walks down and lights the candle, the acolyte? That could be one of you someday. Yeah, that's one of the things that our children do in worship, using your body to help prepare the space for worship. So it's important to take care of your bodies because your bodies are the ones that bring you to worship, right? Isn't that amazing? 
your toothbrush lights up. Well, here's the thing. Tonight, what I want you to think about when you're brushing your teeth, whether your toothbrush sings or it talks to you or whether it's just a normal toothbrush, I want you to give thanks for your body. You have a normal toothbrush, good. I want you to give thanks for God for giving you your teeth so you can chew and so you can sing. And I want you to give thanks that God has given each of us whatever body we have so that we can come and worship together. Will you all pray with me? Let's pray. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for giving us teeth so we can chew our food and smile. We give thanks for our bodies and for this church. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming up today. You may go back to your seats. I mean, no disrespect to the sanctuary choir, to our amazing organist, or to our preacher who is about to ascend the pulpit. I want to go on record to say that the children's time is my favorite time. <laughs> and I want to go on record to say I want a talking toothbrush. I, who knew? Friends, will you join me in prayer? Let us pray together. Holy Spirit, we are together in one place, dwelling in your presence and seeking a sign of your power. In these scriptures, allow us to hear a new word of hope. Open our hearts to be amazed, to be perplexed, and to be convicted. Help us to hear your hope and your promises. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Good morning. This morning, we continue our sermon series, Sacred Ordinary Life, reminding ourselves and reclaiming those parts of our daily lives that can seem overwhelmingly ordinary, but are actually infused with the holiness of God's presence. Today, we are going to explore a brief passage from Paul's letter to the Romans and a passage from the beginning of Gospel of John and how those two passages might say something to us this morning about how our bodies connect to a life of faith. And so I invite you now to listen for a word from the Lord from Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day, for the blessings that it has already brought us and the ones that await us. In the moments ahead, we ask that you would silence any voice within us but your own. Speak to us and allow us to hear. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. The night before the NCAA cross-country championships, my college teammates and I would crowd together in someone's questionably clean off-campus apartment to eat spaghetti and watch the iconic film, Chariots of Fire. The film's protagonist, Eric Liddell, is a Scotsman. He is the son of a Presbyterian missionary, and as you likely know, he is an astoundingly gifted runner. His dream is to compete for his country in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. The trouble is, is that Liddell also feels a call to follow his father in service as a Christian missionary. So he's torn between his head and his heart. And his decision comes to a breaking point in an argument that he has with his sister Jenny. Jenny has been growing weary of Eric's constant athletic training, which is taking him away from his studies. She is adamant that his running is a distraction from his true responsibility and call to the missionary field. She tells him that his head is so full of running that there is no room for standing still. In the midst of this heated discussion between brother and sister, Liddell looks at his sister and he says with great passion, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose, for the mission field. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. To win is to honor him. Liddell would, in fact, go on to win Olympic gold for Scotland, and he remains one of the country's most celebrated athletes. But I think perhaps Eric Liddell's most impressive achievement has nothing to do with athletics. I think Eric Liddell's most impressive achievement is that he saw his whole life as an offering to God. What is true for Eric Liddell is also true for us. Our life of faith is not about leaving our bodies behind for higher spiritual matters, but about presenting our whole selves, spirit, mind, and body, in worship and service to God. It's what Paul wants to tell the church in Rome. He spent the previous chapter from the one we read this morning reminding the congregation of God's extravagant mercies, that God has given us freedom from sin and death. God has given us the gift of the Spirit to encourage and challenge and guide, that God is with us always in faithfulness. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, the chapter we read this morning, he writes, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. If you were paying attention during the reading, you recognize that he started the paragraph with the word, therefore. Therefore, present your bodies 
as a living and holy sacrifice. Those of you who are Bible readers, it is worth noting that anytime you come across the word therefore in scripture, it functions like a yellow light saying, whoa, slow down. I'm about to tell you what the point is. Paul has been telling us about God's mercies. He's made a theological point. And now he's going to make a practical one. I think it's also worth saying that good theology always does this. It always moves from the theological to the practical. From what we trust about who God is to what difference that makes for how we live with one another. Which also means that it's worth questioning any theology that believes something about God without any ethical demands for how we live with other people. A similar or different way of saying that is, we should never be more loyal to an idea or a doctrine or a biblical interpretation than we are to people. If teachings of the church are harming bodies or spirits, we should rethink those teachings. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's connecting the theological with the practical. What we say about who God is, that God is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, with the practical about how we live our lives in the world. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, you might have noticed something else about the passage. A living sacrifice? Seems like a mistake, right? How could something be living and a sacrifice? Certainly in the ancient world of Paul's day, it would have been common to give an offering through the sacrifice of an animal, through death. But Paul speaks of an offering that's not made through death, but through life, through the ways that our lives are lived. So Paul is saying to you and to me, In response to God's grace, offer your whole living, breathing body as an act of worship. Take all the tasks that you do each and every day, your sleeping, your eating, your teeth brushing, your showering, your working, your parenting, and present all of it as an act of worship. Our lives of faith are not something that are simply carried out one day a week here in the sanctuary. The bodies that we use to kneel and to pray and to lift our hands are the same bodies that we take out into the world, to the kitchen table, to the bathtub, and under the covers at night. The Christian faith is never something that is lived one day a week in church, but instead sees the whole world as a temple to the living God. I love theologian Barbara Brown Taylor. She talks about our bodies in the world in service to God this way. She says sometimes when people ask her about her prayer life, she talks about hanging laundry on the line. She says after a day of too much information about just about everything, there is blessed relief in the weight of clothes, the creak of the wicker basket as I carry it to the clothesline. And every time I bend down to receive a piece of laundry, I inhale the smell of the grass and feel the warmth of the sun. She admits most of the laundry in their house belongs to her husband, 
who can go through enough clothes to mimic a toddler in a week. <laughs> but she says, hanging his laundry on the line becomes a labor of love. I often think of my grandmother in this respect. So much of her work was in the home. But she somehow managed to cut flowers and cook pancakes and roll out pie dough with grace and gratitude and thanksgiving. We worship God here, but we also worship God in the office, the hospital, the laundry room, the dinner table, the garden, presenting our bodies as living, breathing tools for building up the world that God so loves. Now, I know you all, and I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, the preacher told us today we no longer have to go to church. In fact, some of you are thinking, I can find church on the golf course every single Sunday from now on. I did once see a church sign that said, may your golf ball lie in green pastures and not still waters. But <laughs> besides that, it's not the point. It is true that church happens in the messiness of what we do together because we belong to God and we belong to one another. But what I am telling you is that there is no divide between the sacred and the secular. The whole world is infused with God's presence. Yes, even the golf course. And the ways that we use our bodies out in the world is an extension of our worship and our practice. Barbara Brown Taylor will go on to call it the practice of wearing skin. By which she means the practice of learning to offer our bodies to be useful in the world with gratitude and delight rather than maintenance and self-loathing. I think that practice of wearing skin can be hard to do. If we think about it, there's a lot of misguided thought about bodies. The church is certainly complicit in this. The church has a history of either ignoring bodies altogether in favor of the spirit or becoming obsessed with bodies, focusing all our attention on policing sexual conduct and denigrating the body as evil. Whether it's church or culture, we carry so much shame lodged in our bodies. If you are like me, I imagine that you can stand in front of the mirror on any given day and see all sorts of problems. Arms that are too thick, legs that don't quite measure up, teeth that could be whiter or straighter, more well brushed, skin that could be firmer or clearer. It's easy to find flaws with our physical selves. I always remember a few years ago, one of my dear friends, Carmen, gave birth and her new daughter, Clarilyn, was sitting in her lap. Her sweet little girl leaned closer in, and she said, Mommy, I love your tummy. It is so soft and squishy for cuddling. <laughs> now, Carmen admitted that she looked down at this beautiful, snuggling child 
and at the same time, feelings of deep shame washed over her. She said, it took all of my spiritual strength to remind my higher self that bodies are beautiful, all of them, because they are gifts of the Creator, and that God had performed a miracle in my body by giving life, and that my body, cuddly and lumpy, was a gracious, lovely miracle that continued to provide for my daughter. Present your bodies to God. There is no more characteristically Christian demand. It is possible to see the body as something that should be despised or we should be ashamed of. But as Christians, we believe our bodies just as much as our souls belong to God. That we can follow God with our bodies as much as we can with our hearts and our minds. It's a way of saying that Christianity is an embodied faith. And the fullest way that we know that that is true is that we believe in the Incarnation. That Jesus Christ took on human flesh. God the Son had a body. He ate. He slept. God forbid, he went to the bathroom. The Gospel of John writes about it this way. The Word became flesh and lived among us. I like the way that the Message Bible translation says it. The word of God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Because Christ had a body, the way that we use our bodies is not meaningless. Leaving the real work of faith and discipleship, of following Christ to our minds and to our spirits, Instead, we are called to delight in our bodies, to use our bodies to build others up so that our bodies might be an embodied confession to the God who literally took on flesh. I think there's another word that's important to be spoken when we talk about bodies. What about when bodies fail us? If our bodies are meant to be delighted in and used for God's purposes, what does it mean when our bodies don't work as they should? I'm convinced that none of us gets through our adult lives without experiencing something that shakes us to our core. Deep suffering will make theologians of all of us. And sometimes the questions that we ask in church or from the pulpit or from Sunday school are rarely the questions that we ask when we or a loved one are in a hospital bed, in real physical or emotional pain. In these moments, it is to discover the depth of a reality that is roped off when everything is going fine. In those moments, the questions that always bubble to the surface, why me, why now, why this? The truth of life is that sometimes bodies fail us. Cells multiply, bones break, miscarriages happen, eyes don't work, brains over or under function. So what do we say in that moment about the sacredness of a body? 
because God had a body. God entered not just into the beauty and wonder of our physical selves, but also the vulnerability of a body that does embarrassing things that sometimes doesn't work the way it should. God didn't come as an invulnerable human being, striding through life from one victory to the next. Instead, for Jesus to be fully God and fully human means he was one of us, exactly as one of us, not some kind of super being that never knew pain or dysfunction. God the Son became flesh and experienced all of human life, including loss and sickness and vulnerability and death. Therefore, to be in relationship with God who identifies with our bodies and our frailties means that God is never ashamed of vulnerable and hurting bodies. God does not shun vulnerability or sickness or death. Instead, God identifies with us, is present with us. God loves flesh and blood no matter what kind of shape it in. So whether you are well or sick or lovely or irregular, you are a body that God deeply loves and is profoundly present with. When I think about bodies that don't often work as they should, I think about my aunt. Her body didn't get enough oxygen when she was born. And as a result, she is severely physically and mentally handicapped. She can't talk or feed or bathe herself or walk on her own. And yet I believe that when God looks at her, God sees a body not that is broken, but that is beloved. And I also believe that God delights in the extra bodies that help to care for her, the hands that bathe her, that hold a spoon while she eats, that carefully dress her each day and steady her when she walks. And I also believe that one day her resurrected body will be transformed without limitation to fullness of life, that she will talk and laugh and run in the ongoing presence of her creator. God had a body. Christ took on human flesh, redeeming and honoring our physical selves, fully experiencing us in our frailty and our vulnerability, which ultimately means that God's glory is found in weakness. John said, God the Son moved into the neighborhood, and we have seen his glory. God gave up the privilege of divinity for the pleasure of humanity, which means God's greatest source of power is found in the people and places where bodies are most vulnerable and hurting. I'm not clearly a Catholic, and yet I have significant admiration and respect for Pope Francis. I'll never forget the first trip he took outside of Rome after being ordained as Pope. He chose not a cathedral or an enormous basilica. 
but a tiny Sicilian island where thousands of migrant bodies often washed ashore, having taken boats crossing the sea from North Africa. So here the Pope stands on the beach in front of a table in which bodies have washed ashore, and he speaks the words that our Lord spoke before he died. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Pope reminded the world that the church is the body of Christ and stands in those places where bodies are vulnerable and hurting. Perhaps some of you have seen the new Gillette Razor commercials. They recently ran a commercial for a new assisted shaving razor. It's the first kind of razor that is intended for the purposes of shaving someone else. And the ad features an adult son who is caring full time for his elderly father who's had a stroke. The father cannot walk or take care of himself, and so throughout the course of the commercial, the son wakes up every morning and showers his father and washes his hair, grooms and shaves him. It's this beautiful, messy, holy rhythm that happens every day. And at one point in the commercial, the son looks at the camera and he says, when I was growing up, my dad was the strongest person I knew. And right now there's something of a role reversal happening. But actually it's an honor to do it for my father because he did it for me. And then the son pauses and he says, I pour love on my father every day, dressing and bathing and shaving his body. And at the end of the day, he looks at me and he says, I, I don't know what I did to deserve this. And the son says, don't worry, I've got you, Dad. A life of faith is never about leaving our bodies behind but out presenting our whole selves, body, mind, and spirit, in service to God. So the question is, so what? So what? So do this. Delight in the body that God has given you. Delight in the body that God has given you in your worship, in your kneeling, in your bowing, in your singing, in your praying. And delight in the body that God has given you on your average day, sleeping or savoring a meal, jumping or hiking or running, or having sex with your spouse, holding the hand of the one you love, caring for the body of another, nursing a baby, and digging a garden. And as you delight in that body, presented as a living, breathing offering to God's service, and not a perfect body, but a body that knows vulnerability as Christ did, and who therefore beckons us to find him in the very places where weakness and infirmity of human flesh dwell. The incarnation isn't something that happened once in Christ. 
The incarnation is an ongoing call to the church, the literal body of Christ, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, to be that in the world. So look around. Where are the places where you might best behold God's flesh? Where are the places in our community and beyond the walls of this church where human frailty is on full display? Where there are bodies that are hurting or hungry or grieving or weary? And stand there. May we join Christ in the mission of becoming where bodies are celebrated, lives are redeemed, and all are resurrected to new life. All thanks be to God. Amen. Having heard the word read and proclaimed, please rise in body or in spirit and let us affirm what we believe. We believe in God above us, maker and sustainer of all life, of sun and moon, of water and earth. We believe in God beside us, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, born of a woman, servant of the poor, tortured and nailed to a tree, a man of sorrows. He died forsaken. He ascended into the earth, to the place of death, and the third day he rose from the tomb. He ascended into heaven, to be everywhere present, and kingdom come on earth. We believe in God within us, the Holy Spirit of Pentecostal fire, life-giving breath of the church, spirit of healing and forgiveness. Source of resurrection and eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, as we prepare to pray as a community, I, I would remind you that outside of the north transept doors, there are care letters that are addressed to members of our community who are experiencing joys and concerns. We invite you to sign those as a sign of your solidarity with and for them. Additionally, we celebrate today with Matthew, who is preaching a good word this morning in Michigan, and with Sarah R., who's leading youth in deepening their faith as part of the Jeremiah Project at Montreat Youth Conference this week. We give thanks for opportunities to share God's good word in the world outside of these walls. Let us pray together. God of Pentecost, we gather this day in wonder and in awe amazed that your spirit continues to enliven us and bring us together, and grateful that you continue to bless this world with new life and new hope. We know that you are a God of many languages. You sing the language of joy with us. You join us in the dance of life. So hear all of your children who sing and dance this morning, those who celebrate future possibilities, those who rejoice in new or renewed relationships, and those who see your presence in the wonders of this world. 
May they hear your voice joining in the singing and the rejoicing. And yet, God of life, you also speak the languages of pain, sorrow, fear, and despair. Hear all of your children who speak, who wail, who whisper in these languages this day. Those who find themselves in hospital beds or waiting anxiously beside them. Those who gather to say goodbye to one who is traveling or one who is moving. Those who gather at graveside to say that longer farewell. Those who worry about where the next meal or the next rent check will come from. Those who live in places where peace is just a word, a faint hope, a distant dream. May all those living in pain hear you lamenting with them. Finally, God, you speak the languages of wind and flame. So speak to us in our very bodies. Blow into our lives, ignite the flame of hope. Fan the fires of possibility. Transform us into a people who share your love with a world in pain. A people who proclaim your hope into a despairing world. A people who live as though the world can be changed into the kingdom that is to come. We pray as people of the Spirit, who lights our fires, who fills our lungs with air, who sends us out into the world to live and serve, who makes us a people who together say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God's Spirit moves within us and around us, beckoning us to create a world that is more just, more generous, and more vibrant. And giving of what we have been given is a means by which we follow the Spirit's guidance. Our Every Dollar Counts offering this month is set aside to benefit Hope Supply Company. This is an organization that helps to meet the critical needs of homeless and at-risk children in North Texas by providing supplies and toys and programming to improve their lives. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, let us give now of what God has first given to us as we receive our morning offering.
us pray. Spirit of Christ, you call us beyond the walls of our comfort zones to be the church in the world. Help us to follow you, to hear your call, and to be your servants. Transform these humble gifts into signs of hope that all people would know your love and your presence. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I would like to invite forward all those elders and deacons who will be ordained and installed to come forward to the chancel facing out toward the congregation. Friends, as the Apostle Paul wrote, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. God calls us to use our bodies, our minds, and our spirits for building up the whole church, the body of Christ. God works through each person in a unique way to accomplish God's purposes. And so to each person is given a gift of the Spirit to use together for our common good. Together, we are the body of Christ, and individually, we are members of it. Some within the church are called to particular service as deacons or ruling elders and teaching elders. Ordination is God's gift to the church, assuring that ministry continues among us, providing for caring and compassion in the world, ordering and governance of the church, the preaching of the word, and the administering of the sacraments. Representing the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the session of Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church now ordained and installed Sarah Bennett, Janet Burkhoff, Sally Dodger, Greg Holman, and Bruce Wall to the office of deacon. We also ordain and install Ruth Fitzgibbons, Hunter Kennedy, Nina Rayburn, and Lacey Schultz to the office of ruling elder, and we install Charles Rutherford as a ruling elder for the church. We will now ask you to affirm the questions required by the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church USA. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness of Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do and will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you and will you? Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity and abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? If so, please say I will. Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to love your neighbors, and to work for the reconciliation of the world? If so, please say I will. 
Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? If so, please say, I do. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? If so, please say, I will. To the deacons elect, will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and to those in need? In your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And to the ruling elders elect, will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serve in the councils of the church, and in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? Do we, the members of the church, accept those elected as deacons and ruling elders, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation, to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? Do we? We do. Do we agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions, and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? At this time, I invite all ordained deacons, ruling elders, and ministers of word and sacrament to please join us here as we offer prayers for these officers-elect by laying on of hands. Friends, let us pray together. Eternal God, we give you thanks for your steadfast faithfulness in calling out new leaders with your gifts, freely given to serve you. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these new deacons and the ruling elders, that they may be faithful leaders in the church. Give them wisdom and courage to order the life of the church in obedience to your word. Nourish them in the life of the Holy Spirit that they may exercise their ministries with discipline, humility, and compassion. Guide them in governance, that they may be servant leaders following Christ. Give them joy in their walk of faith and a sure sense of your abiding presence for the work of ministry. We pray also for this congregation, Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church, that we may be obedient to the Spirit and to their leading that we might be servants of the gospel, offering a compelling witness in the world to the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, I hope you can feel the weight of the very hands, the bodies that surround you, that pray for you, and always go ahead of you. 
You are now deacons and ruling elders in the Church of Jesus Christ and for this congregation. Be faithful and true in your ministry so that your whole life, body, mind, and spirit will give witness to the crucified and risen Christ. Amen. and ruling elders, let these words from Scripture be your charge. This is from Ephesians. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Deacons and ruling elders, we thank God for your gifts and for your call to the ministry of this church. At this time, I'd like to invite Cindy Samuelson and Paula Minnis to join me up here for the commissioning of our mission team. Family of God, in the same way God calls us into particular roles in the life of this church, we are also recognizing the ways today that God calls us into mission to bear witness to and to join in what God is already doing all around us. Later this afternoon, Paula and Cindy and I will be part of a delegation traveling from Dallas to Brownsville, Texas, to participate in a two-day immersion experience on the Texas-Mexico border organized by the Texas Interfaith Center for Public Policy. This trip is designed specifically for people of faith to gain firsthand experience as to our immigration, asylum-seeking, detention, and deportation system here in our own state. As we go today, we go to witness what migration and refuge-seeking looks like today. And we are mindful that we, as people of God, are rooted in the narratives of people who have always been migrants, who have been called by God to flee persecution and to seek out what God has promised them. And as we go, we trust that we do not go alone, but with the power of the Holy Spirit and with your love. And so I invite you now to join us in our commissioning liturgy today as founded in your bulletin. Join me. God has awakened us to our call to do justice love kindness, and walk humbly with God. With God's help, we send you to love God and love our neighbor. We join in Jesus' mission to bring good news to the poor and proclaim release to the captives. With God's help, we send you to love God and love our neighbor. The Holy Spirit challenges us to stand in the margins and gives us the courage to hear the voices of people's long silence. With God's help, we send you to love God and love our neighbor. We journey as members of the church, Christ's body, with humility and joy and service to those we meet along the way. With God's help. We send you to love God and love our neighbor. Please join me in prayer. God of our wandering and wonder, 
You have long called and sent your people to the borders and margins of life. As we leave this place, may your spirit grant us safekeeping, even when we risk our faith and our vocation. We are mindful, O oh God, of the privilege we have to travel with ease, unburdened by the fears and challenges so many of your children face today. And may we return transformed by our journeys and sustained by your love. With gratitude, we pray. Amen. Friends, we look forward to sharing about our experiences with you when we return, and we invite all of you to join us for fellowship in the atrium to greet our mission team as well as our newly ordained and installed elders and deacons. Friends, please rise in body and spirit and let us join together in our closing hymn. We will sing verse 1. forth from this place, go out with compassion and justice in your hearts. Give voice to the silent, give strength to the weak. Hear one another, see one another, love one another, body, mind, and spirit. It's all that easy, and it's all that hard. And may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit go with you this day and always. Amen. Amen.